Deep and meaningful conversations to connect, find calm, feel empowered and uncover clarity. Welcome to the Death Dying Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Hello, Yvette Tarrant and welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? Hey, Julie. I'm amazing. How are you doing? Great. Now, your business, what you told me is empowering people to grow and evolve after crisis and loss and therefore creating their best life, I suppose, for want of better terminology. So tell me a little bit about that business and how you come to start that off. Yeah, look, the business is really, it's a coaching, I do coaching, and the focus for me is about helping and supporting people to become empowered so they can grow and evolve from their experience that they've been through rather than live this contracted limited life which is so often what we have been taught when it comes to grief and loss and really challenging traumatic things that happen to us you know in our life and for me personally I didn't know anything about grief had not really experienced true grief until my husband passed away from cancer four years ago and we had been together for 24 years. Our girls were 12 and 16 when their dad died. And so my life was completely turned upside down. Oh, my whole adult life, we had been together. And so that sort of threw me into my own grief journey and grief experience. And what I found through that was that as a culture and as a society, you know, in our, in our Western culture, we do not teach people how to experience grief well we do not teach people how to support people going through grief and we don't want to talk about it Mm, (laughs) so this is a combination of all of these things that really led me to find my own path because the support that I got personally just didn't serve me didn't work for me and so I went on this journey of really understanding what grief is and and what the process is or or what the experience is going through it. And now everything I've learned from that, I am here to share that with other people because I don't think I've been through this to to keep this to myself. I want to now share it to give people also hope and the possibility that there is another way other than what we have been, I guess, told and and really taught up until this point beautiful so are you open to telling us a little bit of story about your husband like what happened in terms of when you found out he was unwell the diagnosis you know what happened during those months prior to his death your daughter's experience of that your experience I mean there's lots of people you know in similar circumstances and we'd all like to really hear the real story you know, of of what happened and how that all unfolded. Yeah, look, to pre-frame that, you know, my husband was this fit, strong, healthy, always has been man. And he had been unwell for a few months. He'd got the flu and he really had trouble getting over it. And he was at work and he worked out on site and he was you wouldn't find somebody more committed and more diligent to his work, but he spent days where he couldn't get out of bed and that had never happened before. And so that 
sent him off to the doctor just to get some, just to see what was going on because he couldn't, he thought it was just the flu. And the test came back to show that his liver count was really high and then scans and then finding out that he had cancer, but he also had a rarer form of cancer. He had neuroendocrine tumor and his liver was very bad. He had it bit through his body quite, quite a lot. And it was just to hear the word cancer come out of the doctor's mouth was just like, like life literally stopped in that moment Mm. and and in that moment it was that realization that the life that we had known up until that point had completely gone and disappeared and and also the realization in that moment that I had taken that life for granted because at no point did I ever think that this would ever happen to us. Of course, it can happen to anybody at any point in time. And so that led us down the path of having chemotherapy because what he had was quite rare. There wasn't a specific treatment for it. So we had five months of chemotherapy and that was really just without knowing whether it was going to have any impact at all. By the end of that, it made him quite unwell. He got to the point where he was not doing well at all, went into hospital, did a different kind of treatment, which is uh, more of a, an experimental type of trial treatment, which he responded incredibly well to. So we probably have four or five months of him being like this. You would not even know there was anything wrong with him. And he was do, doing incredibly well, working back to work full time, gym, you know, five or six days a week. And it was just, well, like he just wouldn't even know there's anything wrong with him. However, that started in about May, June. He was diagnosed in October 2015. And so this was the following year, around about May, between probably June and December, he was doing really well. And then basically he it, he stopped responding to treatment and progressively got worse. And so that we had 19 months from when he was diagnosed to when he passed away. And again, that journey in itself, uh, for me to reflect on that, I feel incredibly privileged to have been in a position to be able to support somebody through that process and to be in that space with them when they're going through the, the worst time of their life, but also to, to see cancer is hideous, to see what it does to the body and to see what it does to the person that you love and to the, the father of your children, to see that demise happening in front of you is incredibly challenging, incredibly difficult in itself to, to watch as well and to know there's nothing you can do about it, which is what people that go through cancer would, would obviously understand that. And so then... When he passed away, again, that process of nothing can prepare you for the finality of death, even when it's knocking on the door, mm. just nothing nothing can prepare you for the reality of that and to not have that person there at all for anything after that point. It's incredibly confronting. And, again, there's this process of what life was before the diagnosis and then we have this journey of, the treatment and what that looks like and then there is this next stage of all of that is gone and now what does life look like now and everything one knows as what your life was has gone like my mm. I didn't know who I I didn't know who I was anymore I didn't recognize my life anymore I didn't even know how I fit into my life anymore and that was from a personal perspective and then there was the parenting aspect which I didn't come into this <laughs> <laughs> to be a solo parent that was never part of the deal and so yeah. and then there was that whole that, that whole other journey as well and and I won't I won't speak for my for my girls because obviously their journey is their own however you know that in itself had a whole other level and layer of challenges in fact I would say for me personally it's where some of my greatest growth and lessons mm. 
for sure, because that that particular part was one of the most challenging, heartbreaking, just difficult things to go through. And, yeah. and doing it on your own is what that's what it feels like because no one can fully understand. In my in my instance, I didn't feel like I had space to go to where people really got what you were going through. Yeah. Because it can feel that grief journey can feel incredibly isolating. Yeah. And where would you say that grieving process started? Was it straight from the diagnosis or halfway through or like when did it actually start? In reflection, not that I really understood it at the time, but without a doubt, the moment I heard that word cancer, mm. that the going into that space of grieving the life that you had, mm. you, just, you just knew, even though I didn't know what was ahead of me, I just knew life was never going to be the same again. And of course, hearing the word cancer, one's mind goes straight to this mm. is not going to end. This is not going to end well. And there was that grieving. And then there's, for me personally, I just went into, I went into fix that mode. So mm. I left that doctor's office on a mission to like oncology appointments to more scans, more like you just went into fix it mode and anything that needed to be done, like I'm there fixing it which in itself created its own lessons because it came to a point where I realised that I needed to step back and fully appreciate that it wasn't my journey, it was my husband's journey. And whatever that was going to look like needed to be up to him rather than me telling him this is what you have to do, this is what you can and can't do, eat this, don't eat that, you know, because that became a whole other level of pain for him because he suddenly, his life can obviously became something completely unexpected and then not only was he unwell but to have all these other things in his life yeah. even just down to food that he enjoyed eating he wasn't able to eat that anymore and so yeah I really had to appreciate and accept that it was his journey not mine and I was there to support him in whatever he wanted that journey to be for him. Wow. What happens when you receive a diagnosis that makes you feel lost, isolated and confused about the way forward in life? Let our doulas provide clarity, help you find information and connection and feel empowered in your choices. Doulaconnections.com.au Does time go slow? Does it go fast? How does time feel during the, a whole process like that, like that 19 months? Like, how would you reflect on that? It's really interesting in reflection because it feels like just one big, I feel like I said recently, I feel like I haven't stopped since he got diagnosed mm. because it literally is when you are, for me personally, being his person there that was his person, it was appointment after appointment after appointment. It was treatments. It was scans. It was, there was always something. It was food prep. It was more research. It was, it, it was just, it feels like it, it was just a nonstop period of time. And for us, because it was a rarer kind of cancer, there was no real definition of, okay, this is what treatment looks like. This is what's going to happen. Mm. This is what it's going to look like. like. We just didn't know. And so everything we went on to next was we had no idea what the outcome was going to be. So there was yeah. always that level of not giving up, but also we have no idea what the outcome is going to be, even though it's at one point it didn't look good and then it looked 
then it did look good. So it was this is constant roller coaster. Mm. And so I would say that that one day literally rolled into the next. Yeah. And and it was really just whatever that day brought. Okay, what are we dealing with today? Where do we have to go today? What's happening today? Yeah, wow. So, what was your relationship like? Do you would you say it changed the relationship over that time period? Yeah, there was definitely that coming back to what was important, and even together, you know, we had said from the very get go, you know, this can't be all shit. Like, there has to be something the good that that comes out of this and it changed the relationship very much in the context of again being that carer for him I was the one doing most of the doing as opposed to he was normally mm. the one that was doing family was everything to him his number one priority was taking care of his family whatever yeah. he needed to do that was it and then suddenly he wasn't able to do that it was incredibly difficult for him when it came to to letting our girls know because that they were at school that particular day and I came and picked them up and took them to the oncology department that we were in and he was going to tell them and he just he just broke down he couldn't he couldn't actually tell them so so I I told them but that for him that was one of the most incredibly difficult things for him to come to terms with that he wasn't going to be around to be their mm-hmm. dad anymore so when did you when did you tell the girls that he was actually dying? Yeah, great question because that was really it was eleven days. So from when we found out to when we actually told them, and, and the reason we waited was because we didn't even know. Mm. We didn't. We knew that he had it. There, we didn't know what it was. We didn't know it even from the moment when we went and had our first oncology appointment to when they admitted him to the hospital. He was five days in hospital having tests because they couldn't even find what it was. Yeah. And so we told them on day 11 is when we went and had our oncology appointment where we had all the results to tell us what it was. That's the day that we actually told them because we wanted to make sure that we knew what it was. Sure. What we would what we share everything. We'd have all the information that we could have so we could share it with them. And that was one of the most difficult things that we have ever had to do to yeah yeah to wow. see their hearts break in that moment was yeah yep. awful mm. and you know and I acknowledge your respect of the girls telling their own story so so thank you for that so I suppose after he died what happened with the girls and you like did was there discussion was there conversation did you bring them into his dying so that they were there? Like, are you open to telling me the story about his death and what happens soon afterwards? Yeah, absolutely. From a wellness perspective, he was progressively getting worse. And then within days, he went downhill very, very, very quickly to the point where it was it really wasn't expected for him to do it. So we had all of his family come around to our home and, and they, were, they stayed there for really a week and a half in that last sort of, you know, period before he did pass away. And I had palliative care come in. So I treated him, you know, at home because we had pre-decided that there was no way that he was going to go back into hospital. We'd been into so many hospitals so many times and we just knew that wasn't where that we wanted him to be. So I took care of him at home and he did pass away. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning and, again, it just happened very suddenly so we the, the girls weren't with them at that point in time, but once he had passed away, I, I went in and brought them into the room and uh, then uh, his family. It was really quite beautiful. We had 
just the whole family there and for quite a few hours before, you know, he was taken, you know, and, and it was just all of us just sitting around really and all the kids were there. Like we were open, like we didn't hide anything from, from the kids at all. The kids saw him, all the cousins, everyone, with, they all saw him, you know, after he'd passed away. And and it's it's always been a very open and honest conversation about it. it look, in, in hindsight, to be honest with you, I probably would have shared more w- with them about his cancer journey, just from conversations I've had with them now about what they felt like they didn't know and what they were maybe left out of. But at the same time, we didn't even know. So it was really navigating. And, and I, look, I know that we did the best that we thought that we needed to do at that particular point in time. But we have always had an open conversation. It, like there's even everything's open. Beautiful. <laughs> but I mean, it's such a special time of life is death. Like it's like people sometimes forget that death is a part of life. I love that you brought that up because again, for me, I had no concept of death and what mm. it actually meant. And we live in a culture where we don't honour death. We honour life. Well, we think we're honouring life. I don't truly believe we can honour life until we embrace death. Because embracing death and knowing that it's not going to necessarily happen when we're 90 or 100. It could happen, yes, it could happen yesterday to any of us. And yeah. So when we, we embrace death knowing that it can happen to anybody at any point in time, it does make us then more grateful and more appreciative of life. And one of the things I really connected with and one of the things that was one of my big shifts in aha moments was that I realized that when my focus was on everything that we'd lost and everything we'd been that'd been taken away and what we don't get to do anymore that whole future paced thinking like that is a fantasy and we have this vision of what we think our life is going to be and then it becomes this expectation and then when it becomes an expectation and life doesn't turn out that way we think it's been taken away but it was never ours to start with yeah like it was a fantasy and an illusion and so when I brought myself back to the fact that you know all we have is right now in this moment and all the moments that have come beforehand and while I'm in that future pace thinking of what has been lost and been taken away I'm completely missing the 24 years that we did have together I'm completely mm. missing everything that's we have to be grateful for in this moment and so for me, it's about honouring how do, now it's about honouring how do I honour what we've been through? How do I honour his life? And in doing so for me, it's about living as full a life as I possibly can. And again, using what I have now learned and sharing that with others to do the same thing for them. Do you already know what you want? Plan now to get your wishes written down and avoid misunderstandings and possible conflict between your friends and family. Your plan will make you feel empowered and give certainty to others when you need it most. DoulaConnections.com.au So I'd love to hear more about how you then use that whole experience and then if sort of realise how you can help other people in that. So I I know that you're a coach, but tell everybody how you've been able to turn that into something, into a gift that you can share with others and hopefully support them to come out the other side in better shape than what a lot of people are. The thing is he passed away four years ago and for me initially, I get asked that question a lot having already been in the coaching space. in other people's eyes, that was a natural progression for me to go into that. And I was like, no way. <laughs> like I had zero like I had zero interest in going into anything to do with grief and loss. And it was probably about two years ago I was asked uh, again, probably 18 months, two years ago, I was asked again. And it was just 
it was just a yes. It just came out. And what I came to realize was that for me, the story I was telling myself was that if I was sharing our experience, it was dishonoring my husband in some way because he's not here to share his story and tell his version of events and, and what that was like for him. However, what I'm sharing is my story and that is it. You know, I'm sharing my story, my experience of what that was like, but also what I've learned because what I've had so often is that people asking me, how have I been able to go through this and still be happy and to live a life I really love right now? And so for me, it's like, I'm not special. Like I am so not special. And so many people go through what I have been through. I just have now gone through it and perceive it in, in a different way because it's never the event or the circumstance or the situation that creates our feeling or our experience of it. It's how we, we think about it and how we process our way through it. And, again, it comes back to feeling our feelings and having mm-hmm. support and all of those kinds of things. And so that's really what I'm now coming into that space of being able to have people understand grief firstly. Mm-hmm because so often people don't even understand grief and, and, and it's not just about death, it's about any kind of perceived loss or change that we have sure. in life. Yep. But how do we move through that experience of grief and then come out the other side where we can now take the lessons that we learned from that, look at our perception, our thinking, our thoughts mm. about the experience and be able to then live a, a, a life that is our truest highest best version of ourselves how do we become a better person because of what we have not even better just a, a different version of ourselves yeah. and we're a weird person yeah it's so we a, can actually truly love life you know appreciate life rather than take it for granted yeah it's even like Yvette that some people almost feel guilty about being happy when they, in their eyes, somehow they think they should be grieving there's so many people over the years I've spoken to that it's like, well, what I? How can I be happy? My my friend has died. My partner's died. My mother's died, and they just—I don't know. It's almost like a stopping yourself from being able to live your life to the fullest. So, have you got a thought on that? I have lots of thoughts. On that, <laughs> oh yeah, I know you have. But tell <laughs> me some more. <laughs> and I'm so I'm so glad you brought that up. For me, there there are there are some layers to that because again. so often it comes back to the meanings that we give to things and Mm. so often with regard to that is the the meaning is the many people attached to that is if I'm happy it means that I didn't love them Mm. or I don't love them anymore it means I'm glad that they have died and so it's really connected to the meaning that we give to certain things and and I can just as much flip that around and say well the meaning I give to it if I'm not happy I'm dishonoring his life and and his death because he's not here to live anymore. So mm-hmm. for me, I feel like I have an obligation to to live a full life and to be happy. And that's what he would want, you know, yep. for sure. And the other thing I would add to that is that one thing I have certainly learned is this, there is so much judgment and comparison when it comes to grief and to loss. And people like to compare losses and they like to judge people for how they are going through or grieving through their loss. Mm. So there's so much judgment on, wow, look at them, look at the way they are, their, their husband, their partner, whatever people, have, oh, they say husband because that was my experience. Yeah. You know, how, look at them being happy or living a full life or finding a new partner or whatever that might look like because we so often are taught in our culture that to honour the love means that you live a contracted limited life rather than expanded mm. more fuller life because of what we've been through so 
you know, everything comes back to meaning and also identity because we get so caught up in our identity as we know what our life was before our loss and we know now who we are in the trauma and, and the grief, but we don't know what our life is beyond that. And that can be really scary for people to step into. And yep. so people like to stay with what they know because they don't know what who they are beyond that. So there's definitely lots of layers uh, mm. to that. And it really comes back to perception and how we choose to see things because there's yep. always other options to look at things. Yeah. So if there was one major tip that you would give somebody that has either got somebody very close to them, you know, that knows they're dying or somebody that might have just recently lost somebody that was really important to them, well, is there one major thing that you could advise or get them to think about? I think especially in those initial phases of, of when we are going through the loss and the grief, the one thing that we have in our culture, we have so many myths and misconceptions and platitudes when it comes to grief. Like, you know, time heals or keep busy mm. or, you know, be strong. Like it's, it's, it's rubbish. Like it really is rubbish. And if I, the, if I could share with anybody, one of the most important things that we can do is allow space for us to feel. Mm. Like I really feel our feelings because we, again, in our culture, we teach people to distract from their pain, to buffer their pain, and and that we're not able to experience that level of pain. But but we everything we need to move through what we're going through, we already have within us, and it's freaking hard and mm. it's messy. And but just to allow that, and the other side of that would be to is to make sure you have your support people. It only has to be one person, but someone that can hold space for you. Because, again, so often when it comes to supporting people through grief, we are not taught how to do that. And so people have the idea that they need to fix you or there's something mm. wrong with you or we want to make you feel differently. We want to make you feel better. But to get to the feeling better, we need to do the feeling part first. Mm. And it's not that people are trying to be insensitive or not helpful. People just don't know any different. They don't know how to be differently. So. I would say to allow yourself to feel the feelings, create your support network and also tell your people what you need mm. and yep. tell people what you need because people cannot read your mind. I hear all the time people say to me, you know, people say the most stupid things, you know, people going through grief. It's like they're not trying to say stupid things. They just don't know what else to say. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, to let people know how they can best support you because support Grief itself is an incredibly personal individual journey and so is support. So let people know what support you need and yeah. what's going to serve you, you the most. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Yvette. Look, I have absolutely loved talking to you today. I'm sure that there's people that would love to connect with you. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, they're interested in coaching, they you know really want to work with somebody to help them through, how can they connect with you? Absolutely. So Facebook is probably the best place right now, just at Yvette Tarrant. YvetteTarrant.com.au is currently under construction, so that will be up and running in the next few months. But in the meantime, find me on Facebook. Thank you so much, Yvette. You're absolutely a gift and your story is just beautiful. And I'd love to have you back on the podcast at some point. We hope you found this conversation and information interesting, helpful and empowering with the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Help us empower others by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. 